Episode 24 of ICO 41, weekly in-depth analysis of all things blockchain. Welcome back to ICO 41. My name is Owen Scott, and I'm your podcast host. This podcast focuses on initial coin offerings, cryptocurrencies, and blockchain technology. It presumes some knowledge of the basics of blockchain, and it attempts to walk that fine line between technology and business. What's a little different about this podcast is that when we do an analysis, we read the white papers, we investigate the background of the team, and if we can, we spend time communicating directly with the team in question, and then we report to you in detail. As always, this podcast is not intended as investment advice, nor has information to lead to any particular action whatsoever. Our aim is to inform, not to suggest. This episode is an important one to me, as it marks the return of this podcast after a, my gosh, I think a 26-week break. In this return episode, we're going to review what has happened in the blockchain and ICO space while the podcast was on hold, and we'll also run through the current status of the 27 projects that we discussed over the life of this podcast thus far, and then we'll pick three top projects of those 27 all these months later. And that will be followed by some learning opportunities that come from the quick 27 project retro analyses. Now, as I mentioned some months ago, I took a break from this podcast in order to create some software to help our analysis here. When I started this podcast, there was no system out there to meaningfully store and track all of the information that we were collecting about blockchain projects all in one place. So I decided to create that software. And after six months of hard work, We've launched the first version of a robust and comprehensive software platform for the serious analysis of blockchain projects, as well as the ability to track just about all aspects of blockchain and crypto, everything from the deep ICO analysis that I just mentioned, to mining, to masternodes, to skills and experience, compliance, and even arbitrage. Because... I use this software to organize my blockchain, classic coin, and ICO analyses. I'll probably be alluding to it in this podcast from time to time. And because an important aspect of the software is the visual way in which information is organized, I'm going to be broadcasting a screen sharing version of this podcast and uploading those recordings to a YouTube channel. Now, the name of the software that we built is called CryptoTrack. That's with two Ks, one at the front and one at the end, CryptoTrack. So look it up and you'll find demonstrations and how-to videos on YouTube. And if you're interested, you'll also find the same kind of analyses that you find here, but with me visually using that software. And if you visit ICO41.com, you can also find information about CryptoTrack if you like All right, that's enough about what I've been up to. What has blockchain and crypto been up to? 
Well, that's been a pretty fascinating story in its own right, because as you know, we've seen a dramatic drop in the price of Bitcoin with an apparent floor of about $6,000 per Bitcoin, maybe, may fall through, who knows. And that has influenced that drop, a lot of things. In fact, I would say that the drop in price has put a pretty strong damper on what you might call the manic coverage of the subject in the national media that we used to see a few months ago. Now, I personally think this is a good thing because now maybe we'll hear less of these ridiculous and frankly terrified responses from people like Warren Buffett and and even worse, his 94-year-old business partner who actually said that Bitcoin is as bad as, quote, trading harvested baby brains. Seriously. I mean, he said that, which I think more than anything else shows that maybe he himself could use a shot of some of those fresh baby brains. But anyway, if the drop in crypto means that we hear less from people like him, I'll take it. Now, when I started this podcast almost a year ago, the ICO market was on what you might call an unstoppable freight train as ICO after ICO lined up, as many as 20 a week. And the amounts raised were significant across the entire board. In fact, I think it came out to be like almost $6 billion in 2017. And then this spring, 2018, there were a series of high-profile compliance enforcement actions from the SEC, some others. And you would think that there would be some effect. And it's true. Some organizations slowed down. Some organizations just bailed. I was actually involved as part of my hiatus here to uh, help plan an ICO launch. And that company eventually abandoned the project altogether because of the cost of SEC compliance. And others like Stay a While and Seek, they dropped out temporarily or completely and permanently. And many, many more ICOs that came out simply forbade the investment from the United States altogether. So there absolutely has been a change in the space. But this freight train kept running. In fact, to the point at which the first six months of 2018, more money has been raised with ICOs than all of 2017. That so-called banner year that no one ever thought would be replicated again. Here it is, August. It's already more money. Now, there's been some changes since a year ago in a few significant ways, though. First, the sketchiest ICOs, they're just not raising the amount of money that they were a year ago. Secondly, the bar is higher, and the skepticism of the investor and the contributor and the participant and the analyst is healthier. It's a little bit better. Now, the space is also a little less egalitarian. Maybe you might say a, a little bit less fair. A significant number of ICOs haven't even bothered with a public sale because these so-called whales have stepped in and invested heavily in the most promising projects. For instance, the Telegram ICO, $1.7 billion. No public sale. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, hundreds and hundreds of ICOs end up quitting with zero or close to zero dollars. That might be a good thing 
some cases, but in others it's difficult and unfortunate because plenty of those ICOs were probably legit and valid projects. Now, there was one thing that was revealed about a month ago in a pretty respectable analyst report. The headline was that fully 80% of ICOs from 2017 were identified as outright scams. Now, that report, as you might imagine, caught a lot of attention. It's still being trumpeted widely. But I actually got my hands on that report. It was actually a two-part report. I read it, and a couple of significant facts emerged. And maybe the most important was that of the $10 billion raised thus far, 70%, or $7 billion, went to legitimate projects, not to the scams. Now, in one sense, that's a heartening statistic. That's good, 70%, because it means that only 30% of ICO investors got burned by scams. But it also means that $3 billion were more or less stolen by shady ICO operators. Now, that's a big number, maybe a smaller percentage, but that's a lot of money. Now, if you remember some of the previous episodes when I talked about some of these scams, just in passing, because we never analyzed something that would be, could even be construed as an outright scam on this podcast, you'll still maybe nevertheless remember how shocking it was that some of the most blatant and seemingly obvious scams still managed to attract tens of millions of dollars. Even those few that we looked at in passing, well, turns out that the numbers were a lot higher than just tens of millions, right? Three billion. Now, all of this underscores, in my mind, the importance, again, of careful analysis in this space. And so in returning to the show, I decided to take a close and careful look at the 27 projects that we analyzed in this podcast, just first to see how they held up with respect to that 80% scam number, and also to see how they held up from an investment perspective, because that's another aspect of this. Now, I, I do think we should explain something here. As I look through these 27 along with you, I want to explain that I don't believe an ICO is a scam just because the token didn't do well on the markets. If a token lost 95% or more of its value, that does not in itself mean it's a scam. And you'll see why as we go through these. A scam is when the developer, who was probably anonymous in the first place, simply disappears, runs away with the money. So for this podcast, this episode, we're going to present the result of 27 projects, the status, from September 2017 to now. And first of all, let's just get some statistics out of the way. Of all of the projects we covered, only one out of the 27 could possibly be construed as an outright scam. And I'm not even 100% sure of that because it's not clear if they actually took any money from anyone. That would be Valhalla. I'm not sure if you listened to that episode, but it was a scheme whereby wealthy individuals would get airlifted out of trouble spots by very expensive helicopter-driven elite strike force teams. It was a little bit hilarious and sad at the same time when we did the analysis of it, but There's only very tiny traces of the project left anywhere and no real indication that I can see that there was ever a sale 
I'm going to continue to look for this. And I might actually just contact some of the people because they were upstanding individuals and just ask them, did you guys have a sale or not? Haven't had a chance to do that. But that's the only one of the 27 that could even be considered a scam by any measure. So now that's good news. Now why is that? Well, because it means that we've got a pretty good track record here using the system that we've developed for picking projects worthy of analysis in the first place. So those 14 points, which in the software that we built have grown to a lot more than that, are working from that perspective. Now, from an investment perspective, a very different story emerges. Now, while pretty much none, or maybe the one of these are scams, they have most definitely not done well from an investment perspective. Now, that's an important point. Let's just look at some of those numbers. Of the 27 ICO projects that we analyzed that were not classic coins, only two have actually made money for the investors based on the price of the token when the sale was conducted to now. Those projects are Cardano and of all projects, Tezos, believe it or not. Now to be clear, the classic coin projects that we covered like ROI coin and Raven coin, again, they're excluded from this analysis because there's no sale for those coins. Those coins were mined like Bitcoin. So there's no real return on investment since everything starts from pretty much zero. So there can be really nothing but, I guess you could say profit. I guess you could look at the mining of those coins and look at that. And I would say that the return would be very low for those if that were the case. But in any case, the point is, is that we didn't include those because there's no actual sale. So they're not really ICOs. And again, we're talking about the 27 specific projects that we discussed in the podcast over the first six months. Now, some of you may be arguing that Cardano was like a classic coin, true in a way, but not exactly, because the company behind Cardano sold vouchers for Cardano ADA between 2015 and 2017. So there was most definitely a sale, and the people who are participated in that sale at that time over that period did well, even with Cardano currently trading at $0.09 cents a piece. But let's look at some of these abysmal numbers because it's important since so many of the listeners of this podcast told me a few months ago in a survey that they listen to gain information so that they can make good choices. And at the end of this little analysis, we are going to, in fact, uh, recount some of the learning lessons here. So of the 25 ICOs that we covered, subtracting the two classic coins, 14 of them lost more than 75% of their value from the time of the ICO to now. now. Most of these projects continue to be respectable, active, lots of code on GitHub, active platforms, either maybe in beta, maybe in alpha, teams running all over, saying all kinds of things, just actively working on the project. Now, those 14 include... Projects like Atlant, Paragon, Unicoin Gold, BitJob, Gladius, INS, AMLT, the Zen Protocol. Perfectly serious and legitimate projects lost more than 75% of their value from the time of the ICO to now. 
Now let's go a little worse than that. Five of the 25 lost 95% or more of their token value since the ICO. Now those rock bottom losers in terms of contribution value are Atlant, BitJob, Budbo, BTOKEN, Seek, and I'll even say B3, which is clearly a loss, but it's a little complicated because it was a bizarre experiment in economics. It's hard to say what some people might have made uh, during that 10,000% a month um, uh, return. So we're going to leave B3 out of that for a second. Also, we're going to leave it out because uh, the only platform they promised was a wallet. So Now, these, these five that have lost that value, Atlant, BitJob, Budbo, BTOKEN, SEEK. Now, in a way, I'm afraid this makes sense because you know what else? If you ask how many have active and running production systems, those are the same systems that they promised when the ICO came out, how many do you think there are of all of them? Five. Ambrosius, Unicoin Gold, Lambda, Cardano, and B3. But again, B3 is just a wallet, so it's not much of a platform. So really, there's only four. And again, we're subtracting out Raven and ROI coin who had platforms, but that's because they're classic coins. So four actually have a system in place after receiving all that money from the ICO. Now, let's ask this. How many of these projects, these ICO projects, who had white papers and milestones, how many missed milestones that were listed in their white papers. All of them, 100% of the ICO projects we analyzed missed at least one milestone. Now, does that make them scams? No, uh, not in my opinion. It does not make them scams. It may make them optimistic. And the only reason I'm cutting them some slack here is because for 20 years, I've been involved in helping create software, software projects. And almost every project I've been on has been a little more optimistic, to say the least, than what it turned out to be. So I'm cutting them that slack and not calling them scams because they missed their milestones. That's just the way software development works. Now, there is definitely a spectrum in there of the people who were a little disingenuous when it comes to that. But we don't have time to go in and pull those out. We will be covering these ongoing projects over the next few months because some of them are excellent projects and we want to keep track of them and we want to look at those. But most important thing that we need to understand is that when you invest in an ICO that does not have a running platform yet, especially a blockchain platform, your expectation needs to be mitigated and tempered by the empirical evidence. So let's talk about the projects uh, that stand out. It would seem that these are the projects that are active with the most energy and the most technical skill. Now, I can personally rank the top three uh, based on the 27 that we have reviewed and then I revisited to see where they're at. This is almost a year after their initial analyses and in some cases uh, almost a year after their initial sale. Now, it might not be fair 
for me to do this immediately because after all, if you think about it, the first analysis that I did was in September of 2017 and the last was something in February, maybe in early March. So some of these projects have had more time than others. But again, when you look at the 27, there are three that really stand out. And I'm going to start with number one, Lambden. In my opinion, of the 27 that we reviewed, if you were to have to pick a number one, Lambden would be it. Because the open source egalitarianism, the seriousness, and the uh, adherence to the fundamental concept of open source development and open source community, and the way that Lambden engages with that community, to me, feels like they have a project that is open, it's significant, it brings a great deal to this crypto space and to the development of future applications. And because the way and the style in which they communicate and in which they open their doors to the community to allow them to participate in the project is all very much to me uh, points that I would award them in that sense. Um, in fact, I would go on to say that if you're energetic and you're extremely interested in looking to learn this space and to learn significant experience in this technology from a technical perspective, I'd say head over to GitHub and join Lambden's vibrant and open source community. Download some of their code, figure out how to make it run. They have a test net ready to go and just start working with the applications that they are actively building. They have actually gone past the expectations of their white paper. Not a lot of projects can say that. Most projects are barely keeping up with the ideas expressed in their white paper, Lambden has already created products and services or very close to doing so that were not even listed in the white paper because the evolution of their energy has dictated and shown that they need to create these platforms. You can't say that about very many blockchain projects, and you can't really say that about any of the other 26 that I analyzed. The second is Ravencoin. Now, again, this is a classic coin project, and I find myself after, I guess, uh, six months of intense and another four or five months of lightweight analyses, uh, I find myself drawn to classic coin uh, releases. I know, I agree, that uh, there is a lot of sketchy kind of um, masternode-ish, we can talk about that in a little while, uh, sorts of um, issues that are, that are endemic with the uh, native classic coin community. Ravencoin is not one of them. Uh, Ravencoin has remained deeply true to the concept of a classic coin release. Now, it happens to have the backing of some very powerful and influential people with a lot of money to sink into it, especially initially, that doesn't hurt any. But it's also a great grassroots community 
miners, developers, believers, willing to go the distance. And just the passion and the playfulness in some cases and the dedication that's evidenced in the Ravencoin project, if you really look at the history of it, uh, will probably lead you to the same conclusion that this is a legit project that has legs. And the third one, uh, and it was hard to come up with just three. I mean, you can certainly extend it, and I'll even give my little caveat uh, <laughs> after this one. But Cardano, um, I'll just say that, that that of all the projects that we discussed earlier this year, uh, I, I really can't think of one that is sort of bigger in a sense or or more far-reaching and important uh, for crypto and blockchain in, in general. Um, the project, and I am partial to deeply technical projects uh, and, and sort of serious projects, uh, it just has an incredible group of organizations and, and, and related or people and organizations uh, behind it. And what they're doing and what they're working on is, is, is absolutely fascinating. And uh, from a platform perspective, I, I really feel like uh, it's going to remain an important future um, project. Now, am I saying that Cardano is the best uh, blockchain project out there? No, I'm not. Remember, uh, I'm taking this from the 27 that I discussed Okay, so, and I'm just, you know, bringing those back. So this is a very small universe we're playing around in here. And, and before I actually leave this, you know, there, there's a couple that just really kind of stand out. Uh, Zen Protocol, Ocean Protocol, uh, again, displaying my partiality to um, some of the more technical aspects. Ocean Protocol really hasn't gotten very far yet because that was one of the last ones that I did. It was the last one that I did. But uh, Zen Protocol's gotten some... Uh, a ways away. And then there's another one that, that I really want to mention as well, Health Nexus. Uh, that would have been on the list, uh, but I'm a little bit unsure about the status of the public sale, and it's not really fair for me to, to actually even discuss a project that may not have had a full public sale. I'm in the process of getting um, sort of the, the absolute information from the horse's mouth, so to speak, about uh, that project with respect to the sale itself. Uh, I will say, though, that it's very impressive uh, what I've seen so far. So Health Nexus is up there as well. It's simply vital health. Look, there's some, there's some learning opportunities uh, to emerge from all of this analysis. Uh, the first one is that if you're contributing to an ICO project because you're expecting a return on your investment, and that is to say, you're speculating. Uh, first of all, it's not recommended by anyone. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, though, empirically, we've seen people make plenty of money in both the short term and the long term on this. So you would be forgiven if that's uh, what you are doing. Uh, and from my survey, I know that's what many of you are doing. You probably are continuing to try to do it. It's a little bit harder for the small person to do that. Uh, based on that egalitarian problem that I mentioned earlier. Uh, you're seeing the, the very best projects run away with lots of, well, I shouldn't say use the word run away, conclude their sales privately, w limited to, you know, accredited investors and this and that. But anyway, the point is this, is that if you are contributing to ICO projects because you are expecting a return, empirical evidence suggests that you are probably making a mistake if your timeline 
for a return is anything less than a year or two. And it makes sense. It really makes sense if you think about it. But let's talk about that a little bit. It might even be several years. And according to what I saw, a significant number of even the very best ICOs, if you do some research, you're going to find out that when the coin reaches the exchange, when it, when it ends the ICO and then there's that period, it's inevitably a period. It's definitely going to be as little as weeks and as much as months or more. When it finally reaches the exchange, most of the ICOs dropped significantly from the price that which was paid in the ICO. Now, yes, it's definitely a timing issue. A lot of the ICOs that I studied personally that we analyzed on this podcast together coincided with a drastic major drop in the price of Bitcoin, which pulled everything down. Yeah, a lot of that is. But there was a number of them before, if you look very carefully at it, that that was not the truth. In fact, if you go and you look at the ones that didn't immediately drop, you will see a spike a classic pump, and then you'll see a dump. You'll see a precipitous drop in most of them. So empirically speaking, the analysis tells us that waiting until after the ICO, at least in this environment, especially this current bear market, so to speak, is a much better course of action than investing directly in the ICO. You can run those numbers. You can look at the 27 that I analyzed, and you'll find that to be absolutely true. So have patience when you're not investing in ICO that you want to be because for whatever reason, wait till it gets to the exchange, see what happens. Look, the main reason for this, if you think about it, is that most ICOs are raising money for something that doesn't exist. And it's only after that thing they're building exists, that platform, that network, that system, complicated systems. And they exist, and then they attract people to use them. That's the proof in the pudding right there. And then that generates a demand, a native demand for the token, which then, and only then, will the price naturally and organically rise in value. So if you treat your investment not as a pump-and-dump scheme, not as some fluke or whatever, you actually thoughtfully think of it as an investment in a system, you're not going to see that investment until that system becomes popular and in demand. Now, if you're investing in an ICO for the utility, I would humbly suggest that you wait as well. Why? Well, I can throw a rock and hit 25 ICOs that are awesome utility tokens that can now be had at a minute fraction of what I would have paid if I bought that utility token in the ICO. Now I have this amazing, almost kid in a candy shop ability to go in and start trying out some of these systems that were finally created because, hey, <laughs> most of them have lost 75 to 95 to 80 to 98 percent of their value. So I can jump in there now. That's empirical. That's what happened. This might even be considered a very nice sort of golden moment uh, in the altcoin universe, especially for utility tokens, to take part in systems that you might not otherwise have been able to.
the second learning thing here, I think, if you really look at the data, I didn't get a chance to go into details of it, but the team continues to be one of the most important aspects of the project over time. It, it really does. The projects that we see the most life from now and between 11 and five months after the ICO are the projects with the most transparent and the most experienced team members. They're actively pursuing the growth of the company and the products and services and systems that they're building. And I would venture to say that a careful analysis of those teams indicated that that would probably happen. It's not an accident that the 27 projects that we focused on in this podcast, none of them really, except for maybe one, turn out to be outright scams because we identified and focused on the team, on the teams. Now, there's a definite spectrum in there, but nevertheless, if you look consistently, it really is about the team, about the people and their experience that make up the project. And if you want to continue to look for investment and you want to continue to look for the possibility of supporting these teams, look at what they've done when they got their ICO with respect to the team. Did it grow? Did they hire some serious developers? That's important. What's the team look like now from the time the team came out in the beginning? And you'll notice if you end up using or looking at the CryptoTrack software we built, we have a very team-centric component in that. The team is important. This third thing is technical ability. Technical ability turns out to be very important in blockchain. <laughs> Who knew, right? No, we knew. We knew that. We know that. So the best projects have some very, very technical people who are not just sort of pretending. They know exactly what they're building. Now, yeah, this is an early space. People who had these ideas about one kind of detail in their technology might have changed their opinion as they've gone through it. But you can tell by looking at the white paper whether or not the people who are writing it really understand what's going on. And we've seen that in uh, our analyses. There's a pretty wide spectrum there. So technical ability is important. Now, it's true. Not everybody has 20 years of experience in technology, but there are some fundamental and underlying things that you can look for. And that we've done that on this, on this maybe informally, we've done that on this podcast. Technical ability turns out to be important in blockchain projects, maybe even more so than other software projects. Uh, blockchain is interesting, tricky, and a little bit different. Uh, and finally, uh, learning, uh, a personal learning um, experience was the whole masternode discussion. I am going to go much more into detail over the ensuing weeks and maybe months exploring the concept of the masternode. What happened from the time that I had that flurry of analyses that were around masternode coins was that a number of them turned out to be pure and outright scams, a good number of them. In fact, there appeared to be a single entity, not sure where they're from, but a signal organization that uh, deliberately generated a number of master node coins sort of semi-quasi-anonymously and ran away with the money after auctioning off those master nodes. And you probably remember there was very specific references I made to the dubiousness of master node coins 
from teams that were auctioning them off, and that proved to be the case. Uh, I can't say that every single one of them were scams, but nevertheless. Now, does that entirely and completely discount the concept of the masternode? By no means. Dash continues to be a fantastic both investment, depending on when you started with it, uh, and concept and idea, healthy and good. And it's not for nothing that some of the more successful coins that have come out, tokens that have come out that did not mention masternodes in the beginning have started to use the concept of masternodes from a technical perspective because it's solid and good technology that makes financial and otherwise sense. So uh, masternodes, we have plenty to learn about those. We're going to be diving into those here and there. Uh, but hey, I'm so happy to be back. And uh, this was the first episode, and I hope I conveyed some of the things that I've been thinking about, some of the things that we'll be talking about in the future, and uh, just excited to get started again, and uh, we will do that. One last thing I will say is that uh, this podcast was originally, hence the name ICO41, very ICO-centric. There's been enough maturity in this space to warrant more talk about nice, interesting, pure blockchain projects. Some of them may be private, some of them may be hybrid, but they're out there. And we're going to talk about blockchain technology more than just ICOs. Sometimes we're going to delve into other places. Hope that's good news for everybody. It certainly is good news for me because I'm excited about it. All right. Thank you very much for tuning in to this reboot, if you will, of ICO41. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.